Now would you open in your Bibles today to Proverbs chapter 8 with me. In Proverbs 8, wisdom is personified and crying out. I draw your attention to verse 12. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance in the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. Last week we started in Proverbs, though we've been doing it for a while, but we did the issue of counseling. And the message was the counsel of the godly. We found out what counsel was, who can do it, and what the benefits are of it. This is a follow-up study to counseling, and I've entitled this message, When Counseling Works and When It Doesn't, because there are times when it's great, and there's times where it's a waste of time. It doesn't work. There's a story in the New Testament where a woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years went to Jesus. She had a hemorrhage. And the Scripture says she had spent all of her money on doctors to cure this disease. But after 12 years, it says that though she spent all of her money, she was none the better. She, in fact, grew worse. Jesus did in an instant what doctors couldn't do for 12 years. Jesus healed that woman. I was reminded of that story last week. I think it was after this service. A young lady came up to me and she said, I just want you to know that what you shared today fits my description perfectly. She said, for 12 years, I was being treated for all sorts of emotional problems by all sorts of different counselors with all sorts of different techniques. I was even hospitalized on a couple of occasions. And I didn't get any better after 12 years. She said, in two months, after being involved with the body of Christ and new believers classes and understanding about God and how much He loves me, in two months, I was cured. Then I got a letter this week from a dear lady. A portion of the letter says, Dear Skip, my sister died from breast cancer two years ago on August 24th. She was a clinical psychologist who was born again the month she died. I'm relating this story to support your sermon on counseling each other and using God's Word as a guide. She tells the story of a conversation she had with my brother. She said that she told him that psychology could solve all his problems. He replied, Okay then, forgive me my sins and assist me in developing a closer relationship to God. She was stunned and she had no response. The following year, she found out she had cancer. Her death provided a path for our family to return to God and renew our relationship with Him. Your church has been so instrumental in that process, and I want to express my thanks. Last week, we discovered that counseling is a function of fellowship, that we all counsel, and we all, from time to time, need godly counsel. It's when the church is allowed to be the church. The counseling works the best. Paul talked about the church building itself up or edifying itself in love. Now, I don't want to say that there's not a place for seeking medical help to problems. Please don't get that idea. There are certain times where depressive behavior has its etiology in organic or in chemical imbalance uh, that needs to be treated medically. And there are certain drug addictions or other addictive behaviors that can be treated medically. But 
We have to go back to what our forefathers talked about counseling as, and that is the care of the soul. It is soul work, they called it. In fact, they called it the cure of souls, we talked about last week. Well, the soul is in the realm of God, and God's people have the resources to deal with the soul. Well, counselors come in all types, not just good and bad. There's parents who counsel children, and sometimes children who counsel parents. There's husbands who counsel wives, and wives who counsel children. There's friends who counsel each other. When you choose a counselor, when you choose to be counseled, be wise, be selective, and don't go to everyone at the same time. A fool is a person who listens to no one and a person who listens to everyone. There's an old Danish proverb that says, He who builds according to every man's advice will have a crooked house. There's a lot of advice out there. And this morning I want to talk about when counseling works and when counseling doesn't. There's three necessary elements to having a good counseling session. The first one we sort of by default talked about last week. That is the resources of God, the wonderful counselor, the other counselor, the Holy Spirit. You must be committed to God and God's will. But there's two others that we want to talk about today. There must be an effective counselor and a committed counselee. Now, when we go through this this morning, please don't think this applies to others and not yourself. This applies to all of us because we're all called to counsel, as we saw last week. Don't think in terms of somebody sitting behind a desk, stroking his, I was going to say his or her, her beard, but his beard and uh, maybe playing with her hair and twiddling her pencil. It's not just a professional setting. All of us have relationships and all of us are called upon to give advice. Or people will seek us out for advice or we may be seeking out advice from others. And so keeping that in mind, the application is to us. Let's first of all talk about the counselor. Then we'll talk about the counselee. A counselor must have certain requirements. And I just don't mean the right words, the right techniques, and the right degrees. You know, well, we got to find somebody with a degree. I love what Vance Havner wrote. He said, never before has the church had so many degrees, but so little temperature. We need to be passionately on fire for Jesus Christ and hurting people. Need those with the right character, not just the degrees or the techniques or smooth words. There needs to be prerequisites for an effective counselor. First being, an effective counselor is one who lives godly. That's first on the list. Lives godly. Back in Proverbs 4, in verse 18 and 19, it says, The path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Well, people who are looking for somebody to counsel them want to find somebody who's walking the path of the just. They just don't have all theory. They've tried out the theory on themselves. Their lives are pure. That doesn't mean perfect, because you won't find somebody who's perfect, but it means somebody who has lived the advice that they are giving. You remember in the New Testament that Jesus reproached the spiritual leaders. He said, because the Pharisees say, but they do not do. Nobody wants a counselor like that. We want somebody who says and does. 
And Jesus, in further chiding them, said, They bind heavy burdens that are hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. If I'm looking for somebody to counsel me, I want to find somebody who's lived the life that they're telling me to live, who's walked before me. For no counselor can lift another person above the level of spiritual maturity that they're at. So I want to find somebody who's growing in truth and in the Word. Paul put it this way, The hard-working farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Before he tells you what to grow, he's got to show you his own stuff. He's lived the godly life. John Maxwell said, A leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, and then shows the way. So is a good counselor. He just doesn't know the stuff in his mind. He's not just one who tells you what to do, but he has gone the way before you, and then he shows you the way by his lifestyle. I found that Americans don't like leaders in general. We don't like authority. Ever since the 60s, where it was challenge authority, question authority, our offspring have sort of bought into the philosophy that we once shared and spewed out. And people today don't like politicians or clergymen or policemen or anybody in authority. And I think it's primarily because the example that we expect isn't there. We expect good example from those who are leaders. Nobody wants to drink from a polluted well. Consider the saga of two men, Dave and Tom. Dave counsels every year at high school camp. Tom doesn't allow his kids to attend camp. Dave teaches an adult Sunday school class. Tom doesn't go to Sunday school. Dave directs the choir. Tom doesn't even know a single hymn. Dave chairs the worship committee. Tom hasn't been inside of a church since infancy. Dave reads his Bible every day. Tom doesn't own a Bible. Dave has a grocery bill that's marked 90 days overdue. Tom owns the grocery store. Dave invited Tom to an evangelistic crusade. Tom stayed home and watched television reruns. Why? Because of example versus words. And so people want a counselor who's walked the path that grows ever brighter that we read about just a moment ago in Proverbs, who's lived the example. There's the skeptical German poet named Heinrich Hein who wrote this challenge to Christians. Listen up. He said, You show me your redeemed life, and then I might be inclined to believe in your Redeemer. You talk about redemption, great. Let me see it on you. Then I might be inclined to follow your Redeemer. So, a godly life, first of all. Secondly, he must relate genuinely. He must live godly, but in especially a counseling session, he must relate genuinely. Proverbs 27, verse 9. Ointment and perfume delight the heart, And the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. The word friend means a close companion. When we are giving advice to others, it's important that we try to relate to them intimately as a friend. Instead of being aloof, we want to show interest. Some people in their counsel have the auto-mechanic approach to counseling. I'm not getting down on auto mechanics, especially this week. Believe me, I've needed them all week long. (laughs) But the auto mechanic approach is this. You bring your car in, the guy gets the manual, the book on your car, puts your car through diagnostic tests to find out the problem, then consulting the book, fixes the problem, out goes the car. 
There's people who do that. You come in for counseling, they get out the book, they find the problem, and they find the verse to fix the problem. That approach won't do. There is a person behind the problem. And a good counselor is person-oriented rather than just problem-oriented. Again, I draw your attention to that word in the verse we just read, a friend. A friend is somebody who you trust. A friend is somebody that you are at ease with. A good counselor will seek to become that. You see, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And when you show them that you care, then they'll be open to receive what you are telling them. I am convinced one of the reasons that Jesus Christ had such a huge following wasn't just because He did lots of tricks and miracles. Though there were a number of people that followed Him, yes, because He could do signs and wonders. But I believe because Jesus had such love and compassion for the crowds and for individuals, the Bible tells us it was the common person who would hear Him gladly. In Matthew chapter 9, it says, Jesus looked over the multitude and had compassion for them. In Mark chapter 3, there was a man in the synagogue who had a withered hand, and the Pharisees were watching Jesus just to see if Jesus would cure him. Jesus was so angered at their insensitivity to this person behind the malady that he rebuked them, and then he healed the man. Then there's the rich young ruler who came to Jesus in Mark chapter 10. I love what it says about him. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And then he said, there's one thing you lack. Sell everything, give it to the poor, come and follow me and you'll have treasure in heaven. But Jesus loved him, the scripture says, first. Then there's the story of Jesus walking with the disciples. And as he's walking one day, he notices a funeral procession crossing his path. It's a woman who's lost her only son, something Jesus could relate with. The Bible tells us that Jesus had compassion on her and said, Woman, don't weep. Then raising the son from the dead, he went on his way. There's the time Jesus looked over Jerusalem and wept over Jerusalem, the city that rejected him. Or at the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus wept. That's genuine interest. You know, you can detect genuine interest. It's more than just, I love you, I care about you. This is an important time we're spending together. It's more than just words. Your body language tells a lot about you. What you do with your arms, what you do with your hands, what you do with your legs or, you know, your eyes. Yeah, I'm really interested in you. This is really important. You can tell if you're genuinely interested or not. A uh, medical doctor, Paul Brand, wrote a great book called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, all about the human body and God's design. And this medical doctor said, along with most doctors I know, I often feel inadequate in the face of real suffering. We fight back the lumps in our throats. We march resolutely into the hospital for visits. We mumble a few cheerful words, perhaps look up articles on what to say to the grieving. But when I ask patients and families, who helped you in your suffering? I hear a strange and an imprecise answer. The person described rarely has smooth answers or a winsome, effervescent personality. It is someone quiet, understanding, who listens more than he talks, who does not judge or even offer much advice. A sense of presence, someone there when I needed him, 
a hand to hold, an understanding bewildered hug, a shared lump in the throat. So an effective counselor is, first of all, somebody who lives godly. Secondly, somebody who relates genuinely. Thirdly, it's someone who keeps confidentiality, who knows when to talk and when to keep his mouth shut. Or to put it in Proverbs talk, Proverbs 11:13, a talebearer reveals secrets. But he who is of a faithful spirit conceals a matter. Benjamin Franklin used to say, three people can keep a secret if two of them are dead. <laughs> well, a good counselor must know how to bury information in his heart while keeping his mouth shut. That's hard for some people. Some people, as soon as you spill out in confidence something wrong, they feel empowered when they spread it around to other people. It makes them feel important. They want to gain a hearing. I love the scripture about Mary, the mother of Jesus. While the shepherds were compelled to spread the good news all around Bethlehem, which was important, it says Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. There's a time when counselors need to do that. Keep them. Don't tell anybody. It's confidential. Ponder it in your heart. Keep under guard that information. Well, I've got to tell, I've got to speak my mind. There was a woman who came to John Wesley. She said, I believe my talent is to speak my mind. He said, dear woman, God wouldn't mind one bit if you buried that talent. (laughs) Confidence is important. Many people have been caused to distrust counselors, to say, forget it. Every time I share something, it seems to leak out to other people. Now, I do want to say that there are times when confidentiality is both not possible, biblically, and not desirable. There are times, in fact, a counselor should never say, listen, this is completely confidential, always, no matter what, because that's not even right. Uh, Jesus said if you go in private to a person and you lovingly confront that person with sin, if that person doesn't change, Jesus said, take two or three witnesses with you so that every word can be established. If he refuses to hear all of you, then you broaden the circle of accountability and tell it to the church. If he refuses to hear the church, then you treat him as a heathen and a tax collector. So there are times when confidentiality is impossible. There's another mark of an effective counselor. It's one who speaks appropriately speaks appropriately. Proverbs 15, verse 23. A man has joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season, how good it is. And if you're there at Proverbs 15, look down at verse 28 now. The heart of the righteous studies how to answer. In counseling, whether it's professionally or over the fence, Friend-to-friend counseling. A person bears his soul, shares her heart, tells you the deep feelings and secrets. Your response is critical. Your words must be weighed and they must be precise. A word spoken in due season, how good it is. Words fitly spoken, says Proverbs. It's like apples of gold in a setting of silver. It was uh, Theodore Roosevelt who coined a phrase years ago he called uh, words weasel words. He said, weasel words are words that can mean lots of different things and people will share them when they want to weasel out of a commitment. Politicians are very skilled, I think, at weasel words. 
a very generic answer, and you walk away going, what did they mean by that? Well, it could be anybody's guess. In counseling, your words must be precise, and they must be weighed. There's a sense of timing. That's why it says words spoken in due season. You see, if a counselor dumps every bit of knowledge he or she knows on the person in need, it's not going to help them much. That's to be the right medicine at just the right time. You say, yeah, but we got to speak the truth. Oh, but you got to speak the truth in love, the Scripture says. And there is a sense of timing with that. A person can be easily offended. Proverbs 16, verse 21, we read, The wise in heart are called discerning, and pleasant words will promote instruction. The Arabs used to say, whenever you shoot an arrow of truth, of, uh, an arrow of truth at someone, make sure that you first dip the point in honey. Here's an arrow of truth. I've got to share this with you, but first let me sweeten it up. Let me add a little bit of sugar to this first. It's still the truth. I'll still confront. I'll still share, but it will be done in love. And you know what? Even negative statements can be honeyed up a bit by some of us. One way is to craft it in such a way. Um, an I message versus a you message is usually more effective. For instance, if I say, I'm feeling that you're not interested, it's better than saying, you know, you just don't care, do you? Same thing, but it's crafted a lot differently. I'm feeling that you're not interested. So even if it's negative, listen to what one park attendant shared with the tour group up at Oregon Caves National Monument. It's a negative statement, but it's crafted right. She said, I hope you enjoy our trek through the caves. I must ask you not to destroy or take any of the rock formations. Actually, we've had very little trouble with this. I don't know if it's because our visitors' great love for nature or their desire for preservation of the caves or their respect for the $500 fine. <laughs> now, she could have said, you touch this and you're busted, 500 bucks. It was a negative statement, honeyed up a bit. Another trait of an effective counselor, if we go through the list, he lives godly, he relates genuinely, or she relates genuinely, keeps confidentiality, speaks appropriately, and fifth, listens actively. I've discovered that listening is a lost art. To get people to listen in this day and age is a lot trickier than it was 10, 20, 30 years ago. We have shortened people's attention spans. Have any of you seen a black and white movie lately? I was watching one this week, an old Billy Graham black and white film. Now, it's hard for me to watch a black and white film, as it's probably hard for many of you, because modern films have a certain number of rapid technical changes per minute. The camera bobs around, moves around to keep your attention, to keep your focus. The old movies are harder because you actually have to listen to them. You have to, like, key into the content of these things. And we have shortened people's attention spans, even in music. We don't have them listen to music. Now we have them watch music. So they'll remember a scene, not just words to a song. So because of that, it's harder for people today to listen to something. Their tolerance level has diminished. Well, in counseling, it needs to be cultivated. The craft of zeroing in, watching, giving eye contact, and listening to what a person is saying. James said everyone should be swift to hear, 
and slow to speak and slow to wrath, especially in counseling. Why is this important? Because that person on the other end that's receiving your counsel will detect if you really cared what they're saying. Because if you just say, yeah, yeah, right, right. Listen, I know where you're going with this thing, all right? Here's the answer. What you're saying is, you're unimportant. Your issue is unimportant to me. My answer will supersede anything you've got to share with me. Not only that, but sometimes the person is spilling something out and painting a scenario, and if you're wise, you will listen and consider, maybe there's another side of the story. Here, this guy is saying, my wife this and my wife that. You know, maybe I should talk to the wife first and get her story. It would probably be very different. In fact, it says here in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13, He who answers a matter before he listens to it, it is folly and shame to him. Then over in verse 17 of chapter 18, The first one to plead his case seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. You know, there's power in silence. I wish that for every course in public speaking taught in our schools, there'd be a class on how to listen. There's power in silence. Do you know that Marcel Marceau, the famous French mime, speaks four languages fluently? You probably didn't know that because you haven't heard him. He's very conversant at many subjects. He could hold his own on many different disciplines. But he chooses to perform in absolute silence as a mime because he recognizes that you can transcend the language and culture barrier by mime, by facial expressions. So he gets people in silence to watch and to even listen with their eyes as he makes an expression with his face that you couldn't express with a thousand words. There's power in silence. There's power when you listen in silence to your husband, to your wife. There's power in silence when you listen to a friend and that person feels like this other person really cares. He's listening. He's given me eye contact. Finally, an effective counselor is one who relates honestly. And I've left this for last because there are some times when we need to speak the truth in love, but the truth nonetheless. We have to be honest. Proverbs 24, in verse 24 to verse 26, we read, He who says to the wicked, you are righteous. Can you imagine that? Well, here's a wicked person. He's come in, and I know he doesn't want me to tell him that he's wicked. So I'm just going to accommodate him and say, you're righteous. You're okay. It's all right. You're just a victim. He who says to the wicked, you are righteous. Him the people will curse. Nations will abhor him. But those who rebuke the wicked will have delight and a good blessing will come upon them. He who gives a right answer kisses the lips. You see, a good counselor can never compromise truth because to compromise truth is not loving. One of the most loving things you can do is tell people the truth in a loving way. Jesus Christ said you will know the truth and what? It will set you free. There's something liberating about being told the truth. I thank God for the elders in my life the examples in my life, who, when I needed to hear it, said, Skip, effectively, get a life. Get a spiritual life. This area needs to change. Nothing is as liberating as that. And in counseling, we must create an atmosphere of truth and honesty for that counseling session to be effective. That means you affirm the person. 
because you're concerned. It means you admonish the person. It means, if need be, you rebuke the person. You relate honestly. Okay, that is the counselor. There's the profile, an effective counselor. But counseling won't work if you have an effective counselor who loves, who listens, who's a good example. If the counselee comes in and says, all right, fix me. I'm not going to participate in this. I'm just sitting here. Now you do your job. It won't work. You must have, secondly, a committed counselee. And to make it short, as we go through Proverbs, there's three things that the counselee must be committed to. First of all, he must be committed to the truth. Novel idea. Be committed to the truth. Tell me the truth. Proverbs 23, verse 9. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of your words. A foolish person isn't interested in the truth. A foolish person isn't interested in personal responsibility. Don't tell me it's my fault. Don't tell me that I have to do something. Don't tell me that it's because I've sinned or I must change. That's a foolish person. Another old Arab proverb says, Seek counsel of him who makes you weep, not of him who makes you laugh. Tell the truth. I was reading this week about a middle-aged school teacher who decided to make an investment. She found a business venture. She put all of her hard-earned savings into this new business venture. It was a scam. Somebody was a scam artist. She lost all of her money. She finally went to the Better Business Bureau after she lost it all. And as one of the representatives from the office of the Better Business Bureau was interviewing her, he said, Dear woman, why didn't you come to the Better Business Bureau first? Didn't you know that we existed? Hadn't you heard of the Better Business Bureau? She said, Oh, I knew all about you. But I didn't want you to know first I didn't come to you because I thought if I came to you, you'd tell me not to do it. Now, I used to do that stuff with my dad. I knew that if I asked my dad his advice, he would tell me this, so I'm not going to even bother asking. I'm just going to do my thing. And many times, it was not the wise move. I made the wrong move. So you have to be committed to the truth. Secondly, a counselee, the person receiving the counsel, must be committed to listening. Now, that makes sense. That's fair. If we expect a counselor to listen as we talk, we have to be committed to listening to the biblical godly advice that they give. Proverbs 18.2 A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. I just want to vent. I don't want to listen. That's foolish. Proverbs 19.20 Listen to counsel. Receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. And then finally, Proverbs 15, verse 31. The ear that hears the rebukes of life will abide among the wise. So they come in and they're committed to truth. They're committed to listening to the truth. A few years back, I had a premarital counseling session with a couple who had already been through premarital classes, met with one of the pastors, and they wanted me to perform the wedding. It was a Friday afternoon. I wanted to meet with the couple, work out some of the last-minute details, talk about the wedding. I noticed on the sheet that I was handed that they were having some problems being committed to spiritual things like reading the Bible, praying together, or going to church even. So I decided to ask them a few questions. Congratulations. This is going to be great. And da-da-da-da. We pray God's blessing on your marriage. 
I understand that you're having a little bit of problem in this area. I'd like to discuss it with you. Just then, gal folded her arms, gave me one of those looks that said it all. It's like, oh, man, I'll sit through it, but I don't care. So I said, do you guys pray together at all? No. Do you spend any time reading the Bible? Well, you know, we'd like to, but we're unable to. And she did all the talking, and that's all right. So I asked them a few questions about when is the last time you went to church? Oh, it's been months. It's been a long time. We don't go regularly. And we're busy. Look, we have a life. We're preparing to get married. I said, well, these are priorities. Then she stood up and she said, listen, what right do you have to ask me these kind of questions? I said, what right do you have to ask me to marry you? You can go to the justice of the peace and pay 10 bucks. I don't know what the going rate is. But I'm going to have to stand before God, not you. And she said, well, you have no right to ask me these questions. And basically didn't want to listen, stormed out. Now, this is Friday afternoon. Their wedding's the next day. People are coming in from out of town. And the guy hadn't said a word. And after she left, I looked at him. He's going, hee, hee, hee. I said, now, will you agree that there's a problem here? Yes. All right. I'd love to perform your wedding, but it's 2 o'clock. You have till 5 to find her, get her back, or I won't do your wedding. I didn't do the wedding. They never showed up. In Reader's Digest, there's a story of a golf pro. The golf pro was summoned to give golf lessons. The guy who wanted the lessons goes out on the driving range, takes out his woods, and uh, the pro says, swing a few times. Let me, let me see how you do. So the guy gets up there, swings. And the pro looks at it, surmises what needs to be done, sees the problem, and attempts to give counsel to correct the problem. Every time the pro said, I see this wrong with your swing, here's how to correct it, the guy would interrupt with his own version of what the problem was and how to fix it. Now, this only took a couple times for the pro to just... Say, oh, right, and start agreeing with the guy. Yeah, right, oh, yeah, good, what you said, yeah, do that. And thus went the entire lesson. It was all over. The guy gave the pro the money and said, you're an awesome teacher. <laughs> now, there was a guy watching this whole thing. He said, why did you let this guy get away with that? Now, you didn't help him at all. And the pro said, I learned a long time ago, it's a waste of time to sell answers to a man who only wants to hear echoes. Counseling is a waste of time if a person just wants to hear echoes and not listen to the truth. And so you must be committed to truth, to listening to the truth. Finally, thirdly, we'll close with this. The counselee must be committed to change, to change. One of the first questions I'll ask anybody who seeks counsel on any issue At the beginning of the session, after some introductory matters, I will say, are you willing to do the will of God once you find from this book what the will of God is? Whether it's your marriage, a pending divorce, remarriage, uh, a lawsuit, whatever you're asking for, once you find the will of God, are you willing to surrender to it? Interesting answers you get back. Sometimes the answers are, well, it depends on what God's will is for me in this situation. And I will smile and say, our session is over. What good is it to just talk and pat on the back and not be willing to change? 
In Proverbs 10:17, he who keeps instruction is in the way of life, but he who refuses correction goes astray. In Proverbs 19:19, a man of great wrath will suffer punishment, for even if you rescue him, you will have to do it again. There'll be no change. In the New Testament, Paul talked about putting off the old man, the old habits, the old patterns, and putting on the new man. That's change. And you must be willing to do that. And isn't that the goal of friendly, godly counsel? To change direction, to change lifestyle, habits, patterns, to change our direction. Are you going in the right direction this morning? I found an interesting quip by Pat Boone, who was interviewed right after the death of Elvis Presley. He said, quote, I cared a lot for Elvis, but he went in the wrong direction. Ironically, we met for the last time when I was going to do a show back east, and he was going to Las Vegas. He said to me, say, Pat, where are you going? Of course, he said, like, say, Pat, where are you going? Are you nothing but a hound dog? I'm sorry. So I can ruin a whole illustration by my antics. (laughs) Say, Pat, where are you going? I told him I was where I was going and how I looked forward to being involved in some kind of Christian ministry. He said, hey, I'm going to Vegas. And Pat, as long as I've known you, you've been going in the wrong direction. I answered, Elvis, that just depends where you're coming from. I would add to what Pat Boone said, it also depends where you expect to arrive. And I would say that today, Elvis thinks a little differently about it. It depends on where you're coming from. It depends on where you expect to arrive. Are you going in the wrong direction? Say, what direction is that? Are you going God's direction? If you're not going God's direction, you're going in the wrong direction. That's why we need godly counsel. Because from time to time, all of us take a path off of the path of the just. And we need somebody to gently, lovingly, honestly put us back on that path that we might change. Let's pray. Father, we pray that a change would be effected in our lives by your word, the Holy Spirit that is actively involved in the church. I pray, Father, also that we would have a willingness, a commitment to truth, to listening to the truth, and to change according to the truth. For this is your pattern, and it works. There's lifelong results. As so many who commit themselves to listening and obeying the truth so often testify. Lord, I pray that your church would be the church, the body of Christ, edifying itself in love. Lord, help us to raise up our spiritual heads in the midst of this world, to not be ashamed, to be excited about the resources you have given to us. And may our times of counseling our spouse, our friends, our parents, our children, others who seek advice, may it work, may it be effective by effective counselors and committed counselees. Father, I pray if those have come this morning who don't know Jesus Christ, they're on the wrong path, going the wrong direction, if perhaps you've spoken to their hearts and they want to make a choice today to change, that they would choose to follow you and say yes to life, your life, eternal life, in Jesus' name. Amen.